Welcome to the Wine After Work podcast. This is your host, Bryce Batts. I'm a career coach, mom of two girls, former college cheerleader, and current encourager of women. I'm so grateful you're here. It's my mission to help women break through the glass ceiling, rise up, and step into their greatness. Now grab a glass of wine and settle in. Laura Meyer has helped over 150 brands build successful Amazon businesses through her agency and consulting work. In addition to working with consumer product companies, she has a passion for supporting female-founded and mission-driven companies as an angel investor and advisory board member. When she isn't building businesses, she spends time with her husband, one-year-old daughter, and two dogs on their farm in Massachusetts. Envision Horizons is a leading Amazon agency named in the top 18 Amazon advertising agencies by Business Insider. Their client base is essentially beauty, baby, and health, and household brands, but they represent brands from all categories. Envision Horizons offers a full-service agency as well as a software solution for brands wanting to manage their Amazon businesses internally. Hey, Laura, thank you, and welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Yes, very exciting to have you on. When your team reached out to me, I'm like, okay, this woman sounds like a superstar. So you worked for Amazon, and now you own your own company called Envision Horizons. So tell us about that. Yeah, that's correct. So I worked for Amazon's media group in New York City back in 2015. Okay. And Amazon's business was just or well, Amazon's ad business, I should say, not business. Their ad business was really just starting to make moves within the digital marketing space. Um, at that time, you know, Facebook was really in its heyday of building large D2C businesses like Movement Watches and Glossier, et cetera. Um, and Amazon was still like this very small threat that no one was really paying attention to. And today it's now the third largest media provider after Google and Facebook. And we're what we're seeing from our point of view is a lot of ad dollars after the iOS 14 update and just the Facebook user base shifting elsewhere as well. A lot of those ad budgets are actually moving from Facebook over to Amazon. Um, so it's, you know, one of the things I love about the retail space and the digital marketing space is it's never constant. It is always changing. And what I do in my day to day, but also just what my team does, it change, it really turns over every six months, which is why I think it's a, it's a great place to be. We, we definitely don't get bored. <laughs> I was going to say, I think that's an understatement because like you said, things are changing daily and so rapidly. And for people who don't know, I think a lot of businesses were advertising on Facebook and then with the update, what is it now they have to give permission or it changes the advertising. So you're seeing more people advertising on Amazon now. Is that right? Yeah, I am. And what's also interesting too is Amazon under new management, you know, Jeff Bezos stepped down, Jesse's in the in the hot seat. And 
they have really invested massively at improving their ad technology. And what I mean by that is their paid search solutions were always really good because Amazon at the end of the day isn't a traditional retailer. It's a giant shopping search engine. What do you do when you go to Amazon? You search for a product. What do you do when you go to Nordstrom.com? You may search, but you may also browse their more curated selections as well. And so Amazon always had a really strong search database, and that was very easy to, for them to monetize. Now what they've finally really sophisticated, and they've always had a display or programmatic display business, but I would say in the last year and a half, it's, it's gotten a lot more efficient and the targeting capabilities are better. The ad units are better in my opinion. And yeah, it's just a really exciting time. Plus, Amazon used to only have their advertising for businesses selling on Amazon. Now, non-endemic or businesses that don't sell products can actually use Amazon advertising to better promote their, uh, their business. So like, let's say Expedia, which is a travel company, wants to advertise using Amazon solutions they can actually target customers searching for passport holders, new luggage, things like that. Oh, I'm, okay. I'm so glad you explained that because I'm thinking who's advertising on Amazon if they're not selling on there. So that's really interesting. So that's almost more like if you're searching on Google and ads come up, depending on what you're searching for. Okay. Yeah. And, and, and it's very much like Facebook's uh, targeting too. Like it's very, uh, lifestyle and audience focused. And that's what Amazon's really improved and invested in significantly in recent years. Okay. So how it's hard to imagine when Amazon wasn't a key player, how long did you work for them? I actually only worked for Amazon for one year. Okay. So I had a very positive experience. I would have stayed in my position, but I started that role in New York city and the group I was working with, they decided to move back to Seattle. Oh, wow. And that just wasn't in my plan. <laughs> well, so, because now you have your own company. Yeah, yeah. So then I went and worked for another ad tech company for a year. And that was very much a learning experience for me as well. And, you know, I'm grateful for that experience because it lit the fire I needed to go out and start my business. Yeah, very exciting. So how did you decide it was time to start Envision Horizons? Well, I was 25 when I started. Okay. So that is, now that I'm, almost, I, I turned 31 next week. Now that I'm a little bit older, a little bit wiser, I'm like, oh my God, what the hell was I thinking? <laughs> really, the world is my oyster. Okay. I, 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 yeah, I definitely had maybe a little overconfidence at a ripe age, but that's also just who I am and who I was. You know, I moved to New York City right out of college, bought a one-way ticket with like, oh God gosh. knows, you know, $2,000 in my bank account, if that. <laughs> and I didn't have a job. I just moved out there and I figured it out and I took up some internships and then I eventually landed the job at Amazon itself. So I would say I, I always knew I wanted to start a business 
And I got to a point where I was really frustrated in the job I had after Amazon that I was fortunate enough. I had mentors and people in my life that are like, look, it's kind of like having children now that I have children. Uh, it's never a right time to start a business, right? It's always really hard. It's a financial drain, no matter what way you cut it. And at 25, I at least, I didn't have a mortgage. I didn't have dependents. I didn't have a spouse. You know, if I went bankrupt at the age of 26, I can recover from that. I, you right. have so much less to lose at a younger age. Now, you also know a lot less and I <laughs> learned a lot of things the hard way. But obviously I have no regrets. And, you know, one of the things I did my first year that I'm not super proud of is I racked up like over 45,000 in credit card debt because once again, I was a young 25 year old who didn't really know what my financing, my financial options were or financing options to get started. Uh -huh. Nor did I probably have many options anyways, because I was starting a service right. business. It's not like I was starting some like sexy VC back technology software. Um, I, and, and look, the, the advantage too with a business like that is there is for the most part low overhead, but there's all those expenses. Like I thought I could start my business with a $20,000 savings, clearly. I, I surprised myself by <laughs> later <laughs> racking up some debt, but the great news is within the second year of my business, all debts were paid off. I still own majority of my business today, and I was really able to grow it organically through making, you know, through the pain that comes with bootstrapping a business. Yeah, it's all a learning process and clearly you're a risk taker. And honestly, I feel like you can't run a business or be an entrepreneur if you're not a risk taker because nothing is guaranteed. No. And it's great that you can learn from your mistakes and keep going because there will be, just like life, lots of ups and downs. You're going to make lots of mistakes along the way. Any others that kind of stand out in your mind in the beginning? I mean, you were so young. Yeah, definitely. And, and I think one of my earlier mistakes especially when it came to hiring and building out my team at a younger age and maybe like I, I think this is a mistake you can make at any age actually is i really had it in my head at the moment you know i want to be the young fun likable boss and the issue with that was i ended up failing a lot of my early hires because I didn't give them that tougher constructive feedback and then things would bubble up later. And it obviously when you withhold feedback and information, it never ends well, whether it's with a colleague, whether it's with your spouse, you sometimes just have to say the thing, even if it's uncomfortable in the moment, because everyone benefits from that. Like there's a difference between being nice and doing what's right for someone right. and being nice. And like I said, I'm mid I'm Midwest nice, or at least that's how <laughs> I was raised. Uh, you know, being polite and nice is not the best way of doing business. And sometimes you have to say like, instead of griping, like, oh my God, that presentation that person put together was awful. You have to give them that feedback, but you also have to give them benchmark and coaching of, here's what you could do better. And mm -hmm. I want to challenge you, like, 
let, even though we're, we're not going to take this presentation to the client, I want to challenge you to come back to me in three days with a revised version based on the feedback I have. And I'd like to see you do more than just the feedback I gave you. I want to see like how far you can really take this. So that was definitely part of my initial journey is really learning how to manage people because prior to starting my business, I didn't have any direct reports. I was an independent contributor. I always did sales mm -hmm. and I was really good at sales. I still am to this day building relationships. That's in my blood and my nature, but learning how to understand that people are motivated by different things than what I am was a part of my initial journey. Cause like you said, I am a risk taker. I am motivated by the, you know, the big opportunities that require big risk and not everyone's wired that way. And that's perfectly fine. Like, you know, maybe I need a comp plan that isn't very commission driven and I should have a higher salary to motivate those that want more stability than wanting bigger mm -hmm. upside. Yeah, I think it's a common story of people coming from sales and moving into entrepreneurship you've been a, a you know a single contributor or sole contributor and now you're leading a team and how to lead them well and i was literally talking to my business coach about this today you know if you're in people pleasing it's not in service to anyone especially your team mm -hmm. and even if you're doing that at home or with friends you know she always says the way you show up for one thing is how you show up for everything and I do believe there's typically a common thread. So you can have a fun culture and be the fun boss, but you do have to give, you know, tough feedback when it's needed. Well, and there's a famous saying, right? There's a difference between being liked and respected. Mm. As a business leader, you, obviously you want to be both, but you more so want to be respected. Now, I want to be liked and respected. I don't want to be respected and feared. Feared is not, <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that's healthy. And I think everything that we've seen on, LinkedIn and toxic work cultures and quiet quitting, et cetera. There's no positive in, in instilling fear in the workplace. But, you know, giving that feedback, I, I think is a big part of how you build respect with your team. Yeah. And I think as women, a lot of us are taught, most of us are taught from an early age, be nice and, you know, treat everyone with respect, of course, which is great. But sometimes that can spill over into business when you need to give feedback and crit criticism and you're just trying to be nice or trying to be liked. And then, as you mentioned, the double whammy of also being brought up in the Midwest where everyone <laughs> all the time. <laughs> yeah. And, and look, like it also like you just have to say the thing, right? Like if someone did something really bad, it's OK to say that sucks, but it's OK because we're going to make a plan to improve it. My my big thing, too, is it's not just calling out the problem. You have to work together with a solution, um, but also be like beating around the bush of like, oh, well, that, you know, kind of wasn't really like your best presentation. The, 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 it's that not work out there. No. <laughs> no, and I try to remember, you know, I can't control how the information is received. All I can control is how it's delivered. Yeah. And, you know, being nice and playing into that can also um, be, it can be difficult to turn away business. So how have you decided, like, who's your ideal client? and you know the business that you want to go after and maybe who you should not be working with yes 
So I now have a list of over 50 characteristics on my ideal client checklist. Oh, this and, is incredible. It's like your ideal man, but for her. I, I even have 50 on my ideal man. I guess that's lower standards then, but no, I'm kidding. Um, but it, it's, there's obviously a lot of things that you, of those 50 characteristics or 50 plus characteristics, I won't know them all throughout the sales process, but I'll uncover a lot of them. And so now I have a target size that I work with. And I've learned mm -hmm. this the hard way that for me at this point with the service offering that my business is optimized for and built for, the really small businesses just are not a good fit because a lot of them have limited budgets, which look, I bootstrap my business. I <laughs> get like, I having a limited budget. I sympathize with mm -hmm. that, but I'm also not a charity case and I definitely got taken advantage of in my earlier years of people being like, oh, well, you're a young business. How about you just work on this commission and build some sweat equity while also building my business, which is absolute bullshit. Okay. Like my, even though I was 25, whatever, I still provided tremendous value. And in a lot of ways, that was just people being really cheap and not respecting my time. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a big thing for a lot of women to learn, too, is the whole like, let me pick your brain, blah, blah, blah. The, your time is valuable and you can't let people waste it and putting those boundaries in place and also not being shy when I bring up my pricing. That was another yeah. thing that took me a few years to really get good at. It was very different when I was at Amazon and I'd say, oh yeah, it's $50,000 monthly minimums. It seemed easier to give someone else's pricing because right. it was non-negotiable. Like that was the price and if they couldn't afford it, then we moved on to the, the next price. Yeah, you're like, I didn't come up with the price. I didn't make it, but right. now when you it, are. When it's your business, it kind of can be negotiable, but you have to tell yourself it's not. And, you know, there are people out there who know that you're the one who like, okay, let me cut a deal with you. Like, I know you're the business owner, you can make those decisions. But I really just hold true to building out my own financial model and the margin I know I need to hit. And then also that profile, those characteristics of what's going to be a client where there's longevity. Because mm -hmm. I don't want to be in the business of having a client for 90 days. That's not fun for anyone. Uh, in fact, I don't even want to be with a client for one year. I want to work with client for with, with clients yeah. for three to five years, right? And there really are some big red flags that I can usually pick up on, even in the first few calls. Like oh, one, <laughs> well, if someone really, so I always bring up at least what my minimum pricing looks like. And if they gawk or they try and negotiate with me right there, done. I no interest in working together because you clearly can't afford me. And by the way, I'm not that expensive. It's, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think I'm very like middle of the market for my industry. Mm. Um, I really focus on value pricing. Um, and then so some of the other things I pick up on is same thing in my interviews, if they start bad-mouthing previous agencies and how they've had a ton of agencies or other vendors that have let them down, that means they're likely mismanaging their partnerships mm. or there's something else going on where maybe their product just isn't as good as what they think it is. Mm -hmm. 
or maybe there's someone else internally who is just misguiding the business. And, you know, I want to connect myself to businesses that have a little wind in their sail. I don't want to connect myself to businesses that have holes in the boat because that's a much, much like I, I'm not a business consultant. Um, there's plenty of businesses that specialize in that. And for me as an ideal client, that's just not where we are. We're here to take a business that's maybe growing 10% year over year on Amazon. And let's take that to 200% next year type of mentality. And so who are your clients? We have clients um, very largely within the beauty and the personal care category. And, you know, we really try and work with brands that do at least two million or more a year on Amazon. So what's interesting, too, is most of our clients actually aren't Amazon native businesses. They're businesses that sell in Sephora or have their own brick and mortar or sell in Target. They have other retail channels and they hire us because they don't have that expertise but they know that Amazon is a very important channel for them and they want someone to guide that strategy and guide that execution. And I find it's easier to turn away business when you're more established, when you have a client list you really love, but how do you go about doing that in the beginning? In the early days, it's hard. I feel like I made that mistake like 20 times over. And every time I'm like, oh, Laura, you know what you did, but you still (laughs) did it. Why did you do it? Right. Or like you have that little like flicker of hope of like, maybe this one will be different. (laughs) It's, it's the true definition of insanity, right? Um, (laughs) Expecting a different outcome and it doesn't seem to be the case. So it, the thing that I learned the hard way many times over, as I just shared is that It's not about the missed revenue opportunity by turning down that business. Mm -hmm. It's the opportunity costs that that business can cause. Meaning, is it going to cause you emotional stress because they're a toxic client Mm -hmm. and they are taking away your headspace of focusing on working on your business and they're forcing you to always be in your business? Uh, there's the scope creepers where like, maybe they're really lovely people to work with, but they're paying you for X and they expect Y and they keep Mm -hmm. creeping and creeping and wanting more and more from you that they're trying to get for free and they're not paying for it. Um, and that's like a huge opportunity cost. Cause then you're like, wait a minute, I have client a over here who pays me this. And like, I'm looking at this, I spent X number of hours and now I have this client who I spent three X the amount of hours I spent yeah. on client A and they're paying me the same amount. Like not only is that not fair to me and my business, but that's also not fair to client A either. Yeah. You quickly learn you've got to set expectations, set parameters and make sure they know what's expected of them and yes. what you're going to be delivering. Yes, exactly. Um, and I actually have a whole slide in my presentations of what we expect from you for a successful partnership. And I list off, you know, like key or six key buckets of what they need to do. 
Um, otherwise, the partnership won't work. Yeah, exactly, because it's a partnership. So you, you've got to have good communication from the client and some other things as well to make it successful. So that's good. Yeah, and you know, I, especially a mistake I see in less established businesses is really they don't treat their service providers as good as they treat their employees where larger or just like really lovely clients to work with you know they treat you with the same communication style and respect that they treat their own employees mm. um and ideally treating them as employees is a good thing right i just love that <laughs> yeah. to be clear. Yeah, but sure. i i think that's a big thing of like oh well we're paying this agency like let's try and get as much out of them as we possibly can if you had that mentality with your employees your turnover rate would be outrageous. And just because you know you pay an employee just like you pay a vendor, like you really should have the same mentality. If there's a client, like just ask yourself, if I was an employee, would I wanna be working for this client? And if the answer is no, then they're probably not the right client for you. Oh, that's good. Well, tell us about Laura at home when you're not working, what are you up to? Yes. So my husband and I made a very drastic move during COVID okay. in that we sold our Manhattan loft in like the heart of New York, New York, and we bought a farm in Massachusetts. That's which, so exciting. <laughs> yeah. But like all of our friends are like, you guys are nuts. <laughs> like well, you were I, one of the many that left the city. But, but everyone who left the city went to Miami, right? And they're still partying it up, having a great time. Like as they're yachting on a Sunday afternoon in October, I'm harvesting sweet potatoes from my garden. Like it's it's very different pace, uh, but it, you know, it's good. So I have two dogs. Um, I have a almost two-year-old daughter and I have another daughter on the way who's oh, coming this spring. Exciting. And honestly, right now, thank you. Honestly, I'm not doing too much on the farm right now because I just have no energy after a yeah. long day's work, but things are good. It's my dream was to always be a part-time New Yorker. So I see as my children get older, making my way a little bit more regularly down to the Big Apple, but I still travel a lot. Um, and that feeds the extrovert in me. I love it. And your team, you said you have 45 people and they're globally. So do you travel to see them or clients? Or uh, fun. Well, so actually what I did about a little over a month ago was I hosted majority of my team uh, here at the farm for oh, our company fun. offsite. And I realized this year, so we did it last year too, and it was a lot of fun, but I realized this year we're not having it here again because I now have too many people to <laughs> be in my house. And maybe because maybe I was like first trimester wooziness too, like yeah, there, there was a lot going on there. I was like, I can't have this many people coming through my house for a week, even though we had a tent and uh, we have two barns on the property, so we've converted the one barn to kind of like an event space. But oh, cool. uh, yeah, we're we're looking into some new venues for next year. <laughs> All right. Well, your your home there in Massachusetts sounds dreamy. Um, I know our audience can't see me, but I've been nodding along with everything you've been saying. So I I think they're gonna find this super helpful and take away so many 
tips that you've given? Anything you want to leave them with as we wrap up? You know, you've shared so much already, but anything we might have missed? Yeah, I mean, I, I think the general theme here, right, is just knowing your worth, that it's okay to take risk. And at the end of the day, you know, I think when you reflect on some of those big decisions you make, like just know if it's hard in the moment, you're probably going to be really proud of how you handled mm -hmm. it down the line. And one thing I struggle with as a very ambitious person is taking that moment to reflect on those wins because I always want more and that like insatiable hunger I try and control. But it's, you know, it, it's, I think it's really healthy um, to reset perspective because whether it's social media or like comparing yourself to other entrepreneurs or business leaders in the press or on LinkedIn, you know, everyone has their life and what's going on and you rarely ever know the full story. And, you know, it's just okay to be proud of yourself every so often. That's so true. Well, sounds like you have a lot to be proud of. And Laura, where can people find you if they want to get in touch? Absolutely. So the best place professionally to find me is LinkedIn. So you can just search Laura Meyer and I should pop right up. Uh, if you want to follow along on the farm ventures, oh. I'm also on Instagram. And it's actually Laura Catherine Gorman on Instagram. So I never legally changed my last name when I got married, but I changed my Instagram handle. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so I, I, I should probably do it at some point. I just haven't gotten around to it. <laughs> it can be tough when people know you as one thing in business and then you change it. So I hear yeah. that. Well, you know, what really got me was I was looking at SEM Rush for our website of like our top searches that drive traffic and like in the top 10 is laura meyer and vision horizons so i'm like i can't change it no <laughs> google says i can't do it that's right right there <laughs> oh thank you so much this has been such a delight i've enjoyed it yeah thank you it's a pleasure thanks for having me of course thank you so much for listening i'll see you back here next week and make sure to share the episode with a friend that would enjoy the conversation we just had. Also, join the Wine After Work Facebook group to connect with other like-minded women.